Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcast, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. We've had the Occam's book prize long list uh, released. When was that? Last week or the week before? Which, of course, celebrates the best local writers and local stories for 2024, but... To be a success overseas as a New Zealand writer can be a bit more tricky. It can take some tweaks and some compromises because the American publishing beast has a different taste a lot of the time to our own. Rebecca K. Riley has experienced this in all its brutal detail, really. She's the author of the best-selling novel Greta and Valden, and she joins me now. Kia ora, good evening to you. Kia ora, hello. So this is kind of like, well, it's not really like Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone versus Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, but it's a similar kind of theme, isn't it? Um, yeah, I guess so. But um, I think that that hasn't been my experience at all. Um, I don't know. Now I feel like maybe I gave the wrong tone in my essay. Is no, that, no, no. Um, my feeling is that the perception in New Zealand when my book first came out is that everybody here was telling me that they felt so sad for me that I was never going to be an international success because my book was too New Zealandy. Right. Okay. But then that, but then that didn't happen. They, the, you know, it sold in the UK and then it sold in the US. It was fine. Um, right. But, but we, I think that, sorry, no, yeah, no, there, definitely, there are definitely issues with um, trying to communicate like everything like the way that we talk in New Zealand, mm. getting like that message totally across in a novel is difficult. Like you do have to make changes, but it's not as dramatic as people think. I think that there's a lot of perceptions like that with publishing, like editors are being so mean to you and mm. they want to change your vision and stuff. But that isn't my experience and it isn't the experience of many people that I know either. Right, so so you're saying that it was it was more from New Zealanders assuming that your novel would not do well overseas because it was too New Zealandy. Yeah, because I think that there's a perception in New Zealand that we're so weird that we are not translatable to foreign markets. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, all of our media is from other countries, and we understand that fine and I definitely think that in the US it is a little bit tricky for them to understand some of the nuances about what we're saying but it's definitely not impossible and I don't think that that's sort of the main reason why we don't see more New Zealand books overseas is that our publishing system in New Zealand is just so far removed from what they have over there that Mm. you can't sort of like get on the ladder here and then just 
shoot off over there. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's a different a different beast altogether. For for people who haven't read your novel, Greta and Valden, could you could you do a quick a quickish summary for us? I'm sure it's about it's a novel about a brother and sister who are 26 and 30. Contrary to pretty much everything that's said on the internet about how old they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are living together in an apartment in Auckland CBD. And they're both sort of going through it really in their lives. Um, and a lot of things are sort of changing for them. And it's just about them and their relationship with their family. And their mother is Māori from Aotearoa. And their dad is like ethnically Russian, but he never lived there. He grew up in Moldova, that sort of thing. So they have sort of a complicated family background as well. And so what was considered by people who read it and, and had that reaction that you were describing earlier, what was considered so New Zealandy about it? I think it was that um, a lot of writers in New Zealand sort of, I think, feel worried about being understood. Um that they sort of maybe don't think make things very specific. Just say like, like I've um, I read a book that I know was produced for an Australian audience a couple of years ago, and it kept saying things like, "I drove from Christchurch, which was the largest town in the South right, Island, yeah. to Queenstown, which took about four hours, and was known <laughs> as a tourist hotspot." Like, and that was really weird to me because I'm like, oh. you know, we're both from New Zealand, but you are not talking to me in this book. You're talking to somebody else with the perception that they aren't going to understand any of this or would know about anything. But when I wrote my novel, I mean, I was writing it as part of the workshop at the IML. Mm. And so obviously I wasn't writing with the intention of people in America reading it. It was, you know, it was me reading it first and then my supervisor and then, you know, the people in the workshop. So I wasn't saying like, you know, I went downtown in Auckland to the train station, which was called Britomart. <laughs> we didn't have trains that ran regionally, but, you know, I wasn't writing with the intent to sort of um, explain New Zealand to the audience. Well, it's an interesting thing, I suppose, isn't it, in that you, 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 were, you were told, or at least I, I think that writers are told, to write what, write what you know um, without the sort of implicit coda of unless you want to sell your book in a foreign market, in which case write a book that's going to yeah. appeal to some random Midwestern person in exactly. the USA and translates any uh, country-specific um, slang into something <laughs> perceptible to an American audience. Yeah, so there was definitely um, the perception when my book sold that I was going to be made to change like, everything. But really, um, you know, change all the slang and change all the specific references to things that we have, like using, like you know, a countdown or um, getting a trolley at a supermarket instead of like a shopping cart or something like that, or changing all the S's to Z's. Mm-hmm. And I definitely wasn't asked to do anything like that. It was just a few things where maybe if it was a joke and the punchline relies on understanding a particular word, then maybe sort of changing that around so that people don't miss it. Mm -hmm. And one thing was that um, my editors had absolutely no idea what a fluffy was (laughs) in a cafe. And And they said, could you change this to stuffed animal? (laughs) That's not not what it is. Yeah, a few things like that. Is there there an analogous 
thing in America? A puppuccino, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, baby chino. Baby chino. Is that what it's called? Baby chino. No, Fluffy's white. Yeah, and um, well, there was one thing where um, I had written that some, someone had written a um, card to call like from the post office in big vivid letters and they changed the capital V and vivid to a small letter. Mm. And I was like, oh, no, that's actually like the most common type of sort of big pen in New Zealand <laughs> is called a vivid. So just like a little, like little things like that. It wasn't sort of an overarching, like you need to sort of turn this into a sort of tour- tourist type exploration of New Zealand for a foreign market it was just can we change a few things so that people aren't just totally misinterpreting it which I was fine with most of the time as a a reader and a writer do you kind of um and maybe not maybe not with with this this book obviously but do you kind of understand publishers who do it is there a tension I suppose when you are writing a book that um if you want to make some money off this book then it does have to be uh, understandable or appeal to different audiences all around the world and therefore have some element of sort of universality to it? Or, or actually, is that even true? I don't I don't think that is true. Uh, I think that so many publishers around the world are looking for something different. The sort of um, negative aspect of that is that it still needs to be something that they know how to market. Right. I mean, that was more what I was facing when I was trying to sell my book. My agent was trying to sell my book is that people really enjoy the book, but it wasn't sort of a cookie cutter of something that they had done before. So they were thinking maybe I'm not the best person to be selling this in this, you know, massive American market, but it wasn't so much, Oh, we need something that is going to be something that everybody has experienced. And I think that, you know, like if the if the novel has elements of humanity, then people understand that anyway. But people are really looking to read something that isn't entirely like something that they've read before, mm. but also isn't maybe, you know, like extremely experimental. That's something that's harder to market. I uh, a couple of years ago I watched I rewatched um with my partner who hadn't seen it before a, a series called The Wire. Um, an HBO series called The Wire, mm-hmm. and um, The Wire is set in Baltimore, and it, it, it's to do with, for people who haven't seen it, it's to do with, um, well, a lot of it is to do with drugs and drug dealers, and there's a lot of, like, street, like, Baltimore slang street talk, where it's, like, really, really broad African-American English, and it can be quite difficult to sort of perceive at first, to, to sort of figure out what people are saying. And you have to really stick in there and get used to the language. But after a while, I think you do get used to the language. It's almost like learning a new language. And I wonder whether you think books and TV shows and films are, are different in a sense when it comes to that sort of thing, when it comes to relating accents or slang or, and, and things of that nature, how people sound. Yeah, I guess that that's a complicated question because in a book you generally don't tend to sort of have a perceivable accent, but you are maybe writing in like a slightly different dialect. And I think that that's like interesting that we as New Zealanders kind of have this understanding of our own English dialect and also Australian English and general American English mm-hmm. and to some extent general like UK English but that doesn't necessarily translate the other way around. Mm. Yeah. Well, like, I... Yeah, obviously it becomes more complex with something like really region-specific slang. Yeah. But I think in general we can sort of 
you know, watch four different shows from four different uh, English speaking countries in one night. And we're not sort of looking up every few words or being like, I really just can't understand this. Whereas on the other side of the coin, I mean, there is there are elements of universalism uh, there in that, uh, you know, an American won't necessarily intuitively know uh, a place like Epsom from reading the name, mm-hmm. but the cultural touchstone of a well-to-do neighbourhood and what that looks like and how it feels is something that, that is often um, very appreciable from country to country. Yeah, that's what I that's what I mean. Um, I think that these general things are really easy to understand. It's just a few sort of specific things that, you know, are less so mm-hmm. obvious. I I see you were reviewed in the New York Times a few days ago, which must have felt quite cool. Uh, Oh, it was so weird. <laughs> it was it was weird. I think um because my you know my book came out three years ago yeah. in New Zealand, and so I don't have that sort of like immediate like enthusiasm from my family or friends anymore. It's like oh my god, it's still going. <laughs> it just feels ridiculous, and it comes out you know it happened at like eleven p.m. and I was just checking my Google search to see if there was anything that I needed to be on top of and was like, oh God, I've been reviewed in the New York Times. Like, it's a bit dramatic for me. I'm just a normal person. <laughs> Is America the centre of the literary world? Uh, the, I suppose the English-speaking literary world. Oh, that's world. hard to say. Like, It's hard to say if it's the US or the UK. I mean, yeah. the US is a much larger market, but I think that, you know, the Booker Prize is something that we follow more closely as sort of a flag of what's important and prestigious in mm. literary writing, and that's out of the UK, although um, I think like other books are eligible these days that aren't mm. uh, by like, UK-based. I mean, obviously we've had two Booker wins in New Zealand. Yeah, it's different. It, sales, definitely US, but I don't know, like criticism is very solid in the UK as well. What about sensibility? It's, it's Australia and yeah. New Zealand where we're suffering. <laughs> yeah, see, I mean, sensibilities and tastes are they are they different in in terms of your experience between the UK and the US? Mm, not hugely different, but I think that you know, as a country that's colonised by the UK, mm-hmm. we do have more in common with them. They are like more likely to understand uh, references, or even because so many people in the UK have family members who live here. They do sort of know, like you know, the the knowledge is more interchangeable, I think, than with the US. But um, it's hard to say. It's like so different from person to person. I mean, I had two editors working on my manuscript at once that had already been edited by Ashley Young here, and then suddenly I had um, someone in the UK and someone in the US, like both in the document, sort of talking to each other and talking to me. <laughs> And so there were definitely things that maybe one of them would understand and then the other one didn't. And then there are also so many other factors like um, like ethnicity or age or you know, so many other things that can affect what you how, how you interpret literature or even just sentences. Have you had much feedback from American audiences thus far? Uh, it came out yesterday. So right, yeah. No, like, no, but it... Um, it does seem like, to, you know, you're always told, you're sort of given an indication of where your expectation should be. And I think that the response has sort of exceeded that. I think that, like, the hardest thing for me has been, like, more the, like, practical matters of, um, 
you know, people in the US being like, okay, we'll have a meeting with you on Tuesday. And then me saying like, uh, I'm not going to do a meeting on Waitangi Day. Mm. Or, you know, especially having this summer being like, oh, no, I'm going on holiday then. <laughs> That's Auckland anniversary day. And then sort of trying to compromise around that. But in July, everyone was gone last year. Oh dear, it's an amusing situation. The book is called uh, Greta and Valden. Uh, the author is Rebecca K. Riley. It's been great talking to you tonight. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.